hey guys, good morning once again as we engage our series, Lose Yourself. It is great to be with you, uh, and I appreciate how you guys have loved engaging this together. Uh, we're talking about what it means to lose yourself and to find that. You know, it's, it's, we love that uh, paradox, right? So lose yourself in the moment helps you find yourself, and you've only got one shot, so make the most of that opportunity. And we resonate with that. And of course, when Eminem does this, it, it resonates way better because, you know, he does this better, obviously. And, uh, but, but we, we, we long for that. And so we're pursuing, what does it mean to be fulfilled? What does it mean to truly be happy and to find happiness in our lives? And what, what does that look like? And can we find that with God? And so this is what we're engaging in this series and, and we're learning eventually what it means to define happiness and then the actions of our lives because whatever you define happiness as and whatever you pursue it then influences the actions of your lives and the actions of your hearts and everything that happens to you is filtered through that lens through that view and so for us as Christ followers everything's for us starts with Jesus and so we believe that he has the words of eternal life and is the best source for how we live our lives today. So you would say, this is how we have chosen to find our happiness. But for us, it goes much deeper than that. There's a step forward. More significantly, he is who we live our lives for. We live for his glory. We live for his renown. He is the purpose of our life. And that part is different. And so that's why we sing worship songs. It's why we worship him for who he is, because we believe that we find our greatest satisfaction in him. And so we want to give him glory. And that's kind of a big deal. It's kind of an interesting thing, because I don't even know in our own normal lives, even though you do this, you don't realize you do this, we don't come out necessarily and say, I'm going to give glory to Michael Jordan, I want to give glory to my football team. I want to give glory to my boss. That may be something like that would be really weird and really awkward. But maybe like the, like you're in a company that you got a CEO that's a rock star, and so there's something like you would never come out and say that. But we do. Like we just blatantly say it. And your room could be decorated with I don't know some artist or. I know that feels like college maybe or high school, but you know, you know what I'm talking about? Like you can have this, but we've never come out blatantly and said it, but we do with Christ. And we say that he is who we live for. So why is that? And so what we're doing in the series is looking at the life of Jesus, looking at who he is and his words for us. And John was someone who was with Jesus, who he lived with him was one of his closest followers and eventually wrote a written account of his life. And John is an incredible read. We call it the Gospel of John, this account of Jesus' life. And we have it in full. We have four written accounts of Jesus' life, in fact, all in this entirety. It's amazing that we have this even today. And he talks about this, and he talks about Christ and how Christ has made God known to us. And so this is one of the key verses in this series. John 1.18 says, John says, no one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, speaking of Jesus, who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father. He has made him known. And so this is significant for us when we say, well, how can I find God or how can I see him or do I know that he exists? We look to Christ. Jesus came to us and made God know by seeing Christ, we have seen 
God. And so John is saying that Jesus shows us God. He says that Jesus was with God in the beginning, that he was part of creation. He calls him the light of the world, the life of mankind. And he has made God known to us. And so if you are someone who is seeking faith or you feel doubts in your heart or you're just struggling or you don't feel at peace, then these words of John should grip you. You should want to investigate them and to know if it's true. So every week, we're just going to continue to look more and more at Jesus' words to us. And if you missed the first two weeks, it's online. You can go back and listen to that. But we, uh, we, uh, we looked at these, this incredible story, what was called a parable, a story that Jesus would tell to illustrate a deeper point, of the story of two sons and a father who was in the middle of these two sons, and the father represented God. And both of these sons walked away from the father and rebelled in their own way. One just blatantly just said, you're dead to me. Give me everything that's mine. And he left and he, and he blew at everything. And he just the worst son you could possibly be. And then he had to come back. He became so desperate that he came back just hoping to be one of his father's servants. And the father welcomed him back as if he had never done anything wrong. And as this, the humble son comes and, and asking for give, forgiveness and admitting that he was wrong, the father loved him and welcomed him like he was an honored guest. And it's an incredible picture of God. What kind of God loves us like that? But that's what Jesus is wanting us to know. And the other son tried to do everything his own way. His answer was also himself, and he was miserable. He didn't actually love the father either, but the father loved him too. And this is so helpful for us to understand the heart of God. The heart of God. And so for me, as a, you know, you, this is pretty obvious, but I'm someone who says I am a Christ follower. I believe in Jesus as the son of God. That's probably a good entry point for all of us. You, that, you think you're there on that, whether he even knew me or not. So how did I get to that point, that Jesus is my God, that I believe in him? Well, for me, I made that decision when I was a child, when I was seven years old. And absolutely, there was a childlike faith there. I grew up in a faith community. I grew up, my parents taking me to church every week, but that decision was mine. That was not them saying, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. No, they... It was something that, that it was for me to, to decide. And I just, at that point in my life, I understood who he was and what he had done. And, and I was like, I'm his. And that was when I consciously began to follow him and I was baptized on that decision. And then that was a, a, a childlike faith type of, of thing. And so as I've lived my life, that has been challenged, right? I've been, my faith has been tested, and I've gone through hard times, and that my faith in God has only grown deeper. And for me, Christ is everything to me. I remember being in high school and walking through significant challenges. And if any high schooler, whether you have challenges or not, you've got challenges just because your emotions are all over the place and everything, the whole world's against you and everything. But I remember having significant conflict around me in my life through different circumstances that were going on. And I was greatly troubled. And I remember that I just began to pour into Christ. And I began to just deepen this relationship in him. And I remember committing around my junior year just to pray every single night. And I stayed, and I did that for a year at least straight, praying for peace in certain areas of my life where I had experienced great conflict and difficult emotions and circumstances. And I remember I just began to develop this deeper relationship with him. And I loved that. 
And I began to experience answer to those prayers. It took, it was over a year into this process of praying to him for this one specific thing, but God began to bring peace into that area. And I remember thinking in my senior year that God was at work and I was seeing him working in my life. And that, that, that built my faith. And I loved that. And my faith has been challenged. I, I've loved living in the city because everything about your faith is challenged here. And if it's true, then it really is true. And it's brought me into a deeper foundation with him and a deeper love for him. And for me, Christ is everything. I loved him. He's the center of what I do and how I live. He's how I, how I engage in my marriage, how I lead our church family, how I love and raise my kids. It influences everything. It's why I live. It's who I live for. Now, does it always look like that? No. I still mess up, right? I'm enticed by other things that's still in me, but that's the beauty of all this is that I have this great foundation in Christ. I am secure in Him. It's not a conditional relationship. He's shown us from the beginning that it was all what He did for us that made us right with God, that makes me right with Him. And that makes me secure in those times when I can come back to Him and engage Him in this journey. And I love that. That's the joy and the beauty of how that works. And so I say all that and you say, great, that's what every pastor should say. Like we would want to hear that, but it's not just me as a pastor saying this. This is who we are as Christ followers and many who are with us in this church family would say the same thing. And we're serving and loving you each week in different capacities with that passion, with that foundation behind us. And so coming back to the story of the, the two sons, and the picture of this father. And Jesus was telling us to help us see a picture of God. To understand his heart for us. And we know that Jesus lived and he existed. And if you want to know about that, you can research that. It's impossible to deny that he lived. And so then it's about, well, is he the son of God? Did he, was he crucified? Did he rise from the grave? Because that's where everything starts with us. But the stories that Jesus tell about our Father ultimately will only resonate if you really believe in God. Otherwise, it, what does that matter? That picture of the Father will only take you so far. So do you believe in God? Because that's what's going to really make this impactful. But I would say it's, there's a deeper, you know, more a different question, I should say, that goes beyond just do you believe in God or do you believe that he exists? Because a lot of people would say that. The question I would like to ask on top of that is do you answer to God? Do you answer to God? That is a bigger question. Because without this being answered, the story of the two sons only takes you to so far. Do you answer to God? And then if, not, if it's not God, then who do you answer to? And this is really a big question that, you know, consciously or subconsciously, we are engaging in our world over and over again. And we love to question things from the past. And we had times in our, our United States culture where the church culture was so dominant 
And we push back on this where you say, you know, all this morality and everything because we were like, well, who do we really answer to? And we didn't always like this picture of God. And so we wanted to find something else that, that, that seemed a little bit better. But the, well, then the question is, then who do you answer to? It's really a question of accountability. It's a question of morality, and it's a question of truth. And so the obvious answer would be, if it's not God, then who? And whether if you want to admit it or not, like the, the, the most honest question is, answer excuse me, would be me. <laughs> you would answer, it's me. And I would say most of the time we think that it's me. Or you think it's you. You think you're living for you. Answer just to you. And so you find then what makes you happy. I answer to me, then I'm just, then everything exists for me to be happy. And this is what we hear. But what we don't realize that you're not really leading you. Whatever you decide to decide is making you happy eventually is the thing that you answer to. Logically, you answer to you. But this is what I think brings us to God so many times and causes us to question things and causes us to wonder because we pursue ourselves as the end and you find that it didn't satisfy you the way that you thought it would. It really leads you to something else that replaces God. That's who you'll answer to. And it could be a job, it could be social status, and we, we find everything in the world that we need to build our identity on. So whatever it is, you have to have something or someone that defines you. You're not just enough. Something has to be it. So it, maybe for you, it's to be liked by a lot of people. Maybe it's for you is to have position at work. Maybe for you, it's a financial security and status. Or maybe it's not just security. For you, it's a wealth that establishes that you've done something incredible. It can be just, a, for, you, a, for you, a definition to make you happy is, is a relationship with someone. And it goes on and on and on, and we find our identity in a thousand different things, whether it's our sexuality, whether it's our job, whether it's our finances, whether it's social media likes or, or you know, your abilities. And I think that's what draws us to the song, Lose Yourself, right? Because there's something in us that defines me that is so great and incredible that I find that I get my shot and this will come out. And that's my moment. And many times we experience moments like this, and it brings great satisfaction. I always think about, and this is, I think, the big, like when I watch championship games in any sport, whether it's football or basketball or soccer, whatever it may be, you watch that championship match and you see these, these athletes that are so tough and stern just break down and cry. And break out and enjoy like you've never seen before. And man, that emotion is huge. Because they've experienced something deep in that way. That's what we're longing for. But it doesn't last. It doesn't last. And so the dilemma here, when it comes to answering to yourself, is who gives you... Morality. 
what makes what you do, what you decide to be true. So we say then, find your own truth. And that's a significant statement right now in our culture. We say, well, you find what's true for you. And this works good as long as we all can get along, as long as we all treat each other okay. But that's the whole thing is like, how far to that rabbit hole do you go down? You know, do what's best for you. So we say, okay, great. Well, what if you, what if the person next to you you're saying that to is racist? Nobody's racist in our country or in our world. That doesn't happen. They would come and say, that's what's best for me. And so we're like, no, 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 no way. And we say that that's not okay. And we've said that really loudly. With big groups of people all over the city, like we've said that. We've gathered together churches say, no, we say, okay, do what's best for you. And when the person says, well, I've been put in a great place of authority and power, and they become a sexual abuser, and they just think they can get away with all these things, but that stuff doesn't stay hidden. And it feels like every week we see somebody come into the media that abuse these things, and they would say, I'm just doing what's best for me. And we're like, no, 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 no. No way, that's not okay. Oh, well, all right, like I agree. <laughs> but who gets to decide? And that's what we're trying to figure out. We're okay with justice. We want justice. We want truth. You want morality, but just not at your doorstep. <laughs> there's, a, there's a break in this. So how in the world? We get morality, but who decides? And who is ultimately good enough to hold us accountable? How do you find that? And so this is something that I think is in conflict with you because, because we want this, but it doesn't work out. And you're feeling this just for your own personal life. And so you should consider, this is the, really the first thing for you today, is you should consider that you, you as the answer doesn't bring peace. You as the answer doesn't bring peace. I don't know if you've noticed, but the world is not at peace despite all that we've done to improve everything. We're so connected as a world that we see a country invaded that wasn't provoking anything, and we rally towards peace, towards that, but it doesn't stop. The world is not at peace. But let's just go way smaller than the world. Let's just go to you and me. Despite your wealth, and most of you here today, in the rise of the world, you're wealthy despite your status, despite the comforts that you have, which is the best ever in the history of the world and the resources that are around you and I, despite all that, you are not at peace most likely. How is that? You should consider that you as the answer doesn't bring We struggle with God, but we actually, we actually want a God who cares about justice and truth. So I want to bring you to what this looks like. When we say the glory of God, giving him glory, I want to bring you to the words of Jesus for the last part of today's conversation. 
And I just want to read you this prayer. And it's one of Jesus' longest prayers. And this is found in John 17. And this is right before Jesus is going to walk the road down to be, be crucified, to be killed, and to ultimately rise from the grave. And he had been telling his closest followers over and over again, I'm going to die. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be killed. And then three days later, I'm going to rise from the grave. Like he kept saying, they didn't believe it. They were confused by this. He kept saying this. But he knew this was coming. It was part of God's plan for us. And so he, he is leading up to this moment, and he, he has this prayer. It's essentially the end of his ministry time. He was around 33 years old, and he started his ministry. He just lived with the culture and the people for 30 years until he launched his ministry to lead others to eventually become the church as they followed him. And so here is his prayer, and he's doing it with his disciples around him. And it reveals so much to us about God's heart for us and who he is and what he longs for you and I. And so it says here in John 17, beginning, it says, After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, and so this would have been kind of a, a understood prayer uh, you know, like a, a stance of prayer that would have been cultural at the time. And so he says, he looked up to heaven. So that's what they would have done. So people recognize, okay, he's praying. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is why to have eternal life and this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the one, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought you glory to you here on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, bring me into the glory we shared before the world began. So John showing us how Jesus was part of the beginning, part of creation. He's been with us. And here he is in front of them saying these things. It's an incredible thing to, that we believe in. So Jesus continues. He says, I have revealed you to the ones you gave me from this world. They were always yours. You gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything I have is a gift from you, for I have passed on to them the message you gave me to do. Excuse me, you gave me. I just went to the wrong spot. Okay. They accepted it and know that I came from you and they believe that you sent me. See, this is incredible because Jesus is showing us that even in the relationship as, as being a part of God, the part of the Trinity in relationship with him, even then he answers to God the Father. He was demonstrating for us that we don't do anything on, on our own. The picture of the Trinity is this relationship, and we long and need a God that's in relationship. That's not just dictating things, but God understands what it means to serve and to love sacrificially for one another. And he came and he did the same exact thing to you and I, that he served us and sacrificed for us. But even he shows us that he was answering to God. He was accountable to him. And his prayer continues. He says, My prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me, because they belong to you. All who are mine belong to you, and all you have given me, given them to me, so they bring me glory. There's that phrase again. Now I am departing from the world. They are staying in this world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name, so that they will be united just as we are. 
Now, I know this is a lot to read and to take in. What we see is the glory of God. I am wrapped up. Okay. The glory of God. The unity. He's like, God, he's basically saying, I can't wait to get back to you and the glory that we shared. He gave it all up to become like a slave for us so that we could experience the same thing, that we could be united just as they are, that we could be at peace just as they are, that we could experience that love. That's why he came, so we could be brought and experience that too. That is the ultimate thing that we could ever pursue. This is what he's talking about. This is what they long for us. It is his heart for you and me. He continues, it is during my time here, I protected them by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. He's talking about Judas who was just about to betray him. He says, now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be filled with my joy. I have given them your word and the world hates them because they do not belong to the world, just as, like, just as I do not belong to the world. I am not asking you to take them out of this world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And that's a huge statement. There's that word, truth. There's something that's real, that's right. And I think deep down inside, we are longing and finding and searching for what's right. But we struggle because it also means that there's wrong, that there's condemnation. And we don't want that to be us, just like the younger son. But Jesus came, and what he was about to do was to make us holy, to make us right. Because he was the only one who could. So he continues, he says, just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I love that. His purpose from the beginning was to send us out and to use us. Those gifts that he's given you. The excellent things that you do in your life are a joy, a gift. He says, I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. There it is again. He says, I am praying not only for these disciples, but for all those who will ever believe in me through their message. This is his plan to use us, is to believe, bring this message to you. That's what we're doing today. He says, I pray that they will all be one, just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. May they be so, they, may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. And this is such a huge statement that if, when we love one another as Christ's followers, the world sees and believes that God exists. And that's what we want to do. We want to love well. He says, I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Did you know that? That God loves you as much as he loves Christ the Father? Your broken, sinful self, you hurt other people, you hurt yourself, and I do the same thing. He loves you as much as he loves 
as, as Christ. It's incredible. He says, Father, I want these whom you have given me to be with me where I am, that they can see all the glory you gave me because you love me even before the world began. He's like, man, if they can just see this. He says, oh, righteous Father, the world doesn't know you, but I do, and these disciples know you sent me. I have revealed you to them, and I will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them, and I will be in them. That's incredible. <laughs> this is God's prayer for you. He would give himself as a sacrifice so you can be made whole. What does that mean? You can be made right. You can be brought into the unity of the love and glory of the Father. You can experience goodness. You can experience love. And not only that, that he lives in us and he walks through life with us. He walked through life here and he experienced the worst of our pain. He experienced our, the, the brokenness of our sins. He knows your struggles. He cares about what you go through. One of the descriptions of himself is God with us. I think what has gotten the way between us and following God so many times that we think that following God is about the things that he told us to do, the things we got to do to get to him. He's like, no, I came to you to set you free from this. And so and we, I just want to blow that up because we just want to recognize that he's called us to be in a relationship, that he is the ultimate. And if God really is God, he exists. It should be all that we want. But we, we have wanted to belittle that down. And I just admit, as a church, we've not done a great job with this, right? We've belittled it down to church attendance or Bible reading and praying and acts of service. And all these things are good. Or just giving up foods or not doing certain things and not doing 10 things more than that. And, you know, or maybe it's moving to some desolate country or no life enjoyment. Or you fill in the blank. We think we got to beat ourselves up and do all these things to be good and okay with God or say a prayer and do a penance. We're not doing the things of God to be good. We're doing them because of what he has done already, because we love him. I don't wake up and do something nice for my wife, hoping that she'll be my wife today. I do it because I am married to her and I love her and I want to do We want to engage with God. God has given us tools that we have to love Him. Because we want to give Him glory. And because we answer to Him, because He is our God, and we recognize that, and we recognize that the other things that we would pursue to be our God are not as good as who He is. This is about this is about peace. And maybe this is a weird statement for you, something you've never thought of before. But the scripture presents this as the chief purpose of man because it is the chief purpose of God. Everything God does is intended to draw attention to himself. 
to display his majesty and to demonstrate his supremacy. God is jealously bent on the exaltation of himself at the expense of the exaltation of everyone or everything else. And why? Because he is God. He is love. Any experience or definition we have of love is because of him, because he embodies it. It's what he is. He is good. And it's the best thing that he could do because we hear that statement and we think, that's really prideful. Like, that's, unless it's true, <laughs> unless that's who he is. So every single command to praise, to thank, to delight in, to sing to, to sing about, or to pray to, or meditate upon, or, ob- or, or obediently follow God is a command to glorify or make much of God, just like we would make much of someone that we, a singer that we like, or a band, or a sports team, whatever it may be. We just want to glorify Him because that is the ultimate beauty and enjoyment that you and I can pursue. And that's why I said what I said earlier, why I want you to know that this is how my own personal life is oriented. This is who I am. He is my why is this so important? This is the last thing I'll leave you with. It's peace. It's peace. There's freedom in knowing who your God is and knowing his love for you, and that brings peace. Jesus said this over and over again. Guys, I have a lot of scripture up, and we're going to skip it. But John 14, the very beginning, Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust God. Trust also in me. Matthew 6, Jesus says, Therefore, do not be anxious. Say, what do we eat? What do we drink? We're going to wear? Because that's our lives, people. Like, we're anxious. What's going to happen? We're going to do he says, for the Gentiles, those who don't know God, that's what all they seek after. He says, your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first his kingdom. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's that statement of truth. And all these things will be added to you. He knows that you need them. There is a, we seek him first. And that sets the foundation for everything else in our life. Jesus says, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Do you answer to God? This is a question that you should consider. Is he your boss? (laughs) The question for you is, who is the God of you? Who is the God of your heart? This is about peace about the beauty that God made us to experience. He made a way for to bring us back into the beauty that we messed up. We live in the brokenness that we have caused every day. But he didn't leave us there. He came to redeem us and to restore us. Who is the God of your heart? Christ follower. Is God the, 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 the foundation for you in your daily life? Are you experiencing peace? We need to run to him. When we live in obedience to this life-liberating scriptures that we read today, we choose God's peace 
as the, he, we choose him as the ruler of our hearts. As a Christ follower, I gladly surrender my life to him and my heart. Because I know that he's the only one that can bring it. Colossians 3.15 says this, And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. Let's pray together. Jesus, we thank you so much. We love you. And I pray today that the truth of who you are would seep down into our hearts. God, I pray for those, for us today, who do not experience a filled peace. Maybe we are a follower of you and we've, we've just allowed our hearts to chase other things. I pray that we would come back to as secure daughters and sons of God. I pray for those of us here today who are just on this journey to what it even means to believe in you and are just considering this. I pray as we think about the glory and the beauty of the supremacy of Christ, of God, that you are ultimately the one that is good and that we can trust you. I pray that we would know that today. We ask all this in Jesus' name.